Uh, we're going to be returning this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're in the middle of a series called Times and Seasons, Times and Seasons. And let's all stand together at this time and we'll reverence the reading of God's Word. But at the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. And may God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. We have used as our key verse in this series concerning the time when the Bible talks about the times and the seasons. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And one of the most famous usages of that is in reference to the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. Jesus Christ himself employed the terminology in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. When therefore they were coming together, they asked of him, and they in this passage is the apostles, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time again restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, uh, that's Jesus, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. Jesus Christ promised His return to this earth. He has some unfinished business here. And the Bible declares this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, multiple, multiple passages. When we talk about the time and the seasons of the day of the Lord, we're talking about the time that Jesus called in Matthew chapter 24, uh, the great tribulation. Then he said there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Uh, Jesus said that in Matthew 24 and 21. Uh, the Bible speaks that this is a seven-year period. A seven-year period, the time of the great tribulation called also the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But remember last week we saw that before the Bible speaks to us about the day of the Lord, it declares for us the truth of what we call the rapture of the saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always... Always, always, uh, I didn't say that uh, three times, but I did. Always, I want you to remember it. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with, the, uh, with these words. So Paul speaks of the time when Jesus will come and call his children to a meeting in the air. The dead in Christ go first. Then those who are alive, when that event occurs, those believers will be caught up 
and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. I explained to you last week, I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture myself, although many people do. Uh, I do believe that the rapture will occur at the beginning, very early on in the Great Tribulation, very early during that seven-year period. And since I covered that last week, we're not going to cover it again today. I won't say to you that there won't be wars preceding the return of Christ because Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars right up into the end. And so that we know is going to happen. That's in Matthew 24 and 6. But the early years of that seven-year period will be marked by a time of peace. And Daniel prophesied of that in Daniel chapter 11. I don't have this up on the screen for you today. I just encourage you uh, to read that when you get home, when you get home. Daniel chapter 11, or maybe on the way home while you're waiting on your food at the restaurant this afternoon. Maybe pull it up. Daniel chapter 11, uh, he talked about how that they would stand up a vile person uh, called in other places the Antichrist, the vile person who would come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. And for a while, it will seem that man has finally achieved their goal finally found a way to peace, finally uh, living out their potential. Mankind, humanity, finally got its act together. And it all seems peace. And it all seems great. But then, in the book of Revelation chapter 6, the Bible tells us about the four horsemen and while the first horseman rides in on a white horse and he brings in a time then of peace, the second one comes. And to that angel was given, to that rider was given the power to take peace from the earth. And then a third one comes. And that rider would bring in famine. And the fourth one comes. And that rider would bring in a pandemic of disease or diseases. After that comes catastrophic earthquakes. The Bible says that these earthquakes will be so severe that they'll move mountains and islands out of their places. That is not. We know more about that today uh, than John knew about it. Uh, in 2011, the terrible uh, earthquake that hit Japan, you remember it as I do. Uh, we now know that it moved the big island of Japan eight feet to the east. That's quite an upheaval of the earth. You remember the tsunami uh, that hit the mainland and all that happened? That's not the only one. We've seen it happen. We saw it happen in the Indian Ocean when that terrible earthquake uh, happened and uh, again sparked that terrible uh, 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 tsunami. Uh, we know about these things, how that mountains and islands uh, will be moved. God has described it, earthquakes everywhere. But the Great Tribulation isn't finished. More wars, more famines, plagues, catastrophic earthquakes. Revelation 8 describes a fiery hail that will spark wildfires all over the world. We've seen some of that. That's been a little bit in the news here lately. The Bible also describes a burning mountain that will fall from the sky and hit in the ocean. We Talk about what's going to happen when we have a collision with a celestial object, an asteroid or a huge meteorite. We know about that. 
It's going to make impact in the ocean. That's followed by sound, what sounds a whole lot like a comet in its description. The Bible calls it wormwood, and it's going to poison much of the surface water on the earth. And the Great Tribulation is not done yet. The volcanic eruptions, the asteroid that hits in the sea, the comet or whatever it is called wormwood that poisons the air as a result of these things. The Bible talks about sunlight that will only shine a third part of the day. You want to talk about climate change? Uh, let's talk about what happens when the atmosphere is filled with the dust of all those echo, uh, volcanic dis, uh, eruptions and all the things that will happen, the chaos. Yeah, that's the real deal kind of climate change, by the way. That the tribulation's not over. Then will come the unleashing of demonic beings. Come up out of the bottomless pit, demonic beings to torment humanity and kill a third of the population that's left. And there's more, a lot more I could talk about. I was thinking this week, you know, uh, you might think that as a result of all these things, I mean, all these things happening, that humanity would surely fall on their knees and acknowledge themselves as being under the judgment of God. And yet you and I know, we know right where we sit this morning, that every single thing that I've described to you will be explained away. We know about asteroids. I mean, we've been afraid of that one happening for a long time. It's just a bad, bad deal. We know about famines. We know about pestilences. We know about volcanoes. We know about earthquakes. Some of them happen in one place and it literally causes the earth to wobble on its axis. We, we know about this. We, even the demonic spirits will probably be explained away as an alien invasion. You know it. You know it. Recently, I, I, I listened to a major sports figure, not going to call his name, described how that he was raised in church, or as he put it, he was forced to go to church as a child. But as he grew, he considered uh, all of these messages about God's judgment on humanity. And he decided that he wasn't going to worship a God that way and apparently turned away from believing in God at all. As I read that, I thought of the famous quote by Dr. John R. W. Stott, who said, I myself could never believe in God were it not for the cross. You see, we understand that God loves the world, that God loves humanity, and that He demonstrated that love to us. He proved that love to us in sending His Son to die on the cruel cross for your sins and for mine. Paul puts it this way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. 
whom the Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is at work in humanity today. Even among those who are not believers, the Holy Spirit is operating in humanity as a whole. And part of what He is doing is He is restraining the evil. It tells us very, very clearly that He's going to continue that work of restraining evil. He is doing it now. And what I want you to understand this morning is when we read the book of Revelation and we hear people respond to that, well, how could God do that? How could God judge humanity? How could God rain down death and destruction and disease and all these terrible things on, on people? But when that argument is being made, they're making it under our understanding of how humanity is. And I'm talking about our I'm talking about ours in a general kind of way. The way that we know mankind today. And generally we say, well, you know, man had, yeah, man has the capacity to do wrong, but, but then we also have the capacity to do a lot of good things. I'm not talking about saved or lost here this morning. I'm just talking about general, our understanding of humanity. But you see, our understanding of humanity sees mankind under the restraining work of the Holy Spirit, we don't see mankind as what happens when they finally throw off all that restraint, when they rebel and rebel and rebel and rebel. And once again, as Jesus promised, God will look down on humanity and see that their hearts and their minds, their imagination is only on evil continually. And they've thrown off that restraining work of the Holy Spirit. They've hardened themselves against God and His truth. I never listened to the radio program, The Shadow. I, I never did. I doubt very many of you did, but I've read about it. And they asked a question that said, who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? We just have an inkling. Sometimes we see these things happening. The mass shootings that are going on all over this country, we say, how can people do that? When we see the, the, the darkness and the depravity and, and the violence and, and the decay, when we see people moving more and more and more toward evil things, we wonder, how can these things be? We are raising up people, obviously, we call them sociopathic. That is, they can commit murder and not blink an eye. They can commit all kinds of atrocities against other people and never feel a moment of remorse. The Bible tells us that day is coming. When these things begin to happen on the planet, it's not going to be a bunch of nice people helping each other out.
God's judgment isn't coming on a world full of Christian people, spreading the salt and light of the gospel, teaching the truth, being an example, working to advance the kingdom of Christ, standing up for what is right, standing against what is wrong. Humanity, you see today, greatly benefits from the restraining work of the Holy Spirit, from the salt and the light that is God's people. But when that's taken away, it is then that you begin to see God's judgment poured out on that kind of humanity. The Bible is absolutely clear about the time known as the day of the Lord, the time of the great tribulation. In fact, Jesus said, and I already read this, Matthew 24 and 21, it's a time of great tribulation. But then notice the next verse, verse 22, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And that is for Israel's sake. The day will be shortened. That's a sobering statement that Jesus Christ himself made. I understand how intense these things are. What I want you to understand this morning is I'm not the one who wrote these things. I'm, I'm, I'm charged. I've called of God responsible to preach them to you, but I didn't write them. The question for us this morning, okay, we, we talked about the day of the Lord, and I've, I've tried to set it a little bit more in our thinking about the day of the Lord in that seven-year period of the tribulation. Simon Peter then asked us a very good question. It's pertinent to what we're going to look at today. Uh, he says in verse 10, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? I'm not going to declare unto you in a formal and make a, a, a formal statement that the message of Christianity, I'm not going to say this, I'm not going to say that the message of Christianity and the message of the Bible is incompatible with the Save the Planet movement. Uh, because, listen, we are stewards. God made us stewards of the material creation. He did. But I will tell you this. We're not going to save the planet. No matter how hard we try, this planet is pregnant with the judgment of God, and one of these days it is going to give birth. We know it because the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms. It's not like you stuttered. It's not like it's some ambiguous thing. It's something hard to understand. Something we've got to figure out. Maybe if I could puzzle it all out. No, Simon Peter said, all these things are going to be dissolved. All of them. And since we know that, what kind of life should we live? What kind of person should we be? Well, that was right there in our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the times and the seasons. Because Paul says in verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. 
Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk are drunk at night. He is talking about our duty. If we can see the day of the Lord, and we do, then we must also see our duty as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he tells us about our duty can be summarized with three words. We are to be aware, we are to be alert, and we are to be active. Aware, alert, and active. Awareness comes, first of all, because we're not in spiritual darkness and blindness like those who are unbelievers outside uh, of the biblical revelation. We're the sons of light. And therefore, it is our duty, it's our responsibility to be aware of what is happening in the Lord, in the world. Uh, Paul tells us that the day of the Lord will not catch us like a thief in the night. Because though we don't know what day He's coming, we do know He's coming. And therefore, we are to be aware of what is happening and know that that day is coming and one day it is going to happen. We aren't farmers' insurance, but as believers, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are aware. We're not in the dark. We've seen some stuff. You say, well, what have we seen? I'm just going to throw one out. We've seen Israel. We were born as a nation, 1948. 1948. God gathered His people together again. Incredibly significant prophetic event. (laughs) That's far from being the only one. But that one tells us that we're living in a special time. We are. Be aware. Be alert. Be alert. And I said that because even though we know something is going to happen over time, it's easy to lose our edge. Somebody tells you, you know, there's a thief that's probably going to break in your house the first three or four nights or three or four weeks. We're going to watch carefully, but over time, over time, we might lose our edge. We won't be quite as alert. You and I have been hearing about the return of Christ our whole life. And it's easy then to fool ourselves into thinking that it's far, far away, even while it's growing closer and closer all the time. So be aware and be alert. Don't lose your edge. And being active. He calls on us to be the children of the day. And we all know what it is to make hay while the sun shines. Daylight is a precious commodity. It gives us time to work and to get things done. Jesus told us to work for the night is coming when no man can work. We need to be active. I don't call you today to become preppers. And by preppers, I'm talking about the folks who are hoarding guns and ammo and food and water in hopes of being able to survive. And if you look in my gun safe and my garage and other places around my house, you might conclude that I'm a prepper. I'm not. I'm really not. But I do have lots of powder. (laughs) And I know how to make, make that. I mean, but I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking by doing this. Uh, that uh, maybe if I get together enough ammo and enough guns and enough water and enough food that I'll be able to survive uh, through the great tribulation. Remember what Jesus said, unless he shortened the days which he'll do for the sake of Israel, no flesh. And that don't just mean people. No flesh would survive. Not calling on you to be preppers. 
I am calling on us as believers in Christ to understand that there is a time. There is a time for proclaiming the message of salvation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, we saw it very clearly said that people can receive the love of the truth and be saved. It's our time then to be sharing the gospel, be preaching the truth of God, teaching it, sharing it. So we've seen the day itself, the day of the Lord. We've seen the duty, uh, the duty to be uh, alert, to be aware, and to be active. Lastly, I want you to see the destiny, the destiny. Uh, verse 8, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. That's from the ESV. Uh, God has not destined us. Most of your translations have it appointed. Uh, it means destined us for wrath. We are not destined for wrath. Here's another passage that brings together that trilogy of Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. The breastplate guards our heart. And in these days, that these days in which we live, our heart needs guarding. We need to make sure that our heart is protected by faith and by love. Because this world needs to see our faith. And you and I need to live out our faith. This is not a time for us to put our faith in the closet, folks. This is a time for us to put our faith on prominent display. It God guards our heart. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We are believers in His soon return. We are believers that one day we're going to hear a sound and we'll know it when we hear it. But by the time we've figured it out and it's registered on our mind, we're going to be gone because we'll be with the Lord. We are believers. Amen. We need that faith. We need our love. The atheists, the growing atheism and agnosticism in America and around the world is not going to be combated by us going around just telling them turn or burn. Noah didn't go around uh, as far as I can determine in his days of preaching for 120 years. But he didn't go around asking people how long they could tread water. That wasn't his message. Ha, ha, man. I, yeah. uh, people need to see the love of Jesus. They need to know that we love them, that Jesus loves them, and that they can be saved if they would simply receive the message of the truth, the message of the gospel. We need the faith and love then for our hearts, but we need the hope of salvation for our minds. Put on the helmet of salvation, something to protect our mind, and that is our hope. Because our salvation promises us uh, that we will be delivered from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, We wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. Earlier we saw in verse 10, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. And again, I call your attention. It is not only uh, those believers in Christ who have died 
that are promised to be delivered from the wrath to come, awake or sleep, are treated exactly the same. You see, if we had to go through all of the great tribulation period, then the best thing that could happen to us as believers is us for, for us to die before it happened. We don't want to live through this. Uh-uh. And those who have died in the Lord, they don't have to. But instead, Paul presents this in chapter 4, before the day of the Lord comes up, the rapture, he presents to that first. He presents that truth first. And it is a promise made to both the living believers and the dead that we'll be caught up together and be with the Lord. We'll be delivered from the wrath to come. Thus, the blessed hope. This week, somebody reminded me of something I'd heard years ago and I'd forgotten. He said, well, you know, if the devil can't make you bad, if the devil can't make you bad... He'll make you busy. And that's always been true, and it's still true. Maybe it's more true today than it's ever been. We're not so much defeated as we are distracted. That's why the message about the times and the season, folks, apply to us so particularly. And by us, I mean myself and all of you. It was a time not too long ago when one of the most popular board games in America was called Trivial Pursuit. When we get to heaven, we don't want Jesus to tell us that we lived in a pivotal moment in history. And we spent our life playing Trivial Pursuit. It's time for us to be aware to be alert, to be on task, to be active. There's much to do. The warning of the day of the Lord is given to believers is kind of like a wake-up call. Maybe there's been a time when you've gone to an important business place and you had to stay in a hotel. And maybe, you know, you didn't quite trust your phone, although it's pretty reliable. And maybe you didn't quite trust that alarm clock, although it's pretty reliable. And this was such an important meeting that you went a third step. You called the front desk and requested, I need a wake-up call for 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Just to make sure. Because I've got to get up. You can hit the snooze button on the phone. You can hit the snooze button on a lot of things. But when somebody calls you on the phone, and you've got to answer. The message about the day of the Lord is a divine wake-up call for His children. It reminds us of why we have a different view of the world. It reminds us of how we have a different view about life and the living of it. Be alert, be aware. Because the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. And like a woman giving birth to a child. Jesus talked about that day. 
when he said there'd be two working in the field. One is going to be taken. One's going to be left. A couple of women working in the kitchen, cooking. One taken. Another left. That day's coming. If you're saved today, you're not, you're not living in fear of that day. Because you know when that time comes, because you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know you're going to meet the Lord in the air and you'll ever be with Him. But what if you don't know? What if you aren't sure? Can you be sure? The Bible says it very plainly. Jesus came into His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on His name. I want you to know, we have all sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ came to pay the price for your sins and mine. When He died on Calvary, He did exactly that. He proved the validity of that when He was buried and rose again. And He gives us then the promise, the assurance, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received Him? Have you called on Him and asked Him to be your Savior? There's not a better time for you to do it than today. Have you been saved? Have you followed Him in baptism? Do you have a church home? Are you actively serving? It's time to get busy. Let's stand together, please.